All right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen, in your outline, or use the Central Church app. Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to start today. Um, this is week number one of our brand new series called Love and War. It's about the battle for your relationships. And listen, this isn't just your marriage relationship, right? That's, that's not what this series is about. It's about all of our relationship. It's, it's in your dating relationship. It's in your relationship between your parents. It's the relationship between your kids. It's the relationship with your coworkers. It's the relationship you have with Jesus. It's all about relationships. And so we're going to start at the beginning of the Bible, and we're going to look at what the Bible says. And I want to, in this series, examine relationships like the the spiritual side of relationships, because we're in church, and that's what we should talk about is the spiritual. And, and listen, there is so much spiritual that happens in relationships. And I was told a long time ago that that I was uh, there were some, some situations that were happening here in church, and I, and I was told um, by a close friend that I was battling spiritual problems with worldly solutions, and I needed to start battling with spiritual solutions. And, and he was right, but I had never recognized that. And so I've put that into this, into this series about how can we spiritually fight for and in our relationships. Because we all have relationships, and it doesn't matter if you're single, if you're dating, if you're bitter about dating, bitter about being single, I don't care. Like, if you're bitter about being married, we have counseling. But, but like, it doesn't matter where you are or who you are, you are going to find each and every week something for you in this series. And so far as putting this together, I feel like this is going to be my favorite series I have ever preached. I feel like I'm going to have a ton of fun with this. And so today, we're going to do an overview. And next week is going to be specifically how spiritually the devil attacks us, particularly in our mindset. Specifically in the mindset of women. And and listen, men, I know right now you're saying, I don't have to come. Listen, listen, listen. If you show up next week, I promise I will teach you how to understand a woman, spiritually. Spiritually. Emotionally, that's on you, dog. Um, But, like, spiritually, I can help you with that. And the week after that, and the week after that is going to be awesome, we're going to talk to men about why are men so passive sometimes. Like, why are we passive? Why do we run when we should stand and fight? Like, why do we fight the wrong things? Why don't we speak up? That's going to be a super fun week. And I know some of you men right now, you're sitting there going, I'm not showing up. Your wife is saying, no, boy, you're coming to all three services, all three. Then we're going to go home and we're going to watch online. (laughs) But today, today I want to start out with a statement that we can all agree upon. Every one of us are going to have to agree this statement is true. doesn't matter. Christian, non-Christian, Republican, Democrat, Iowa fan, Iowa State fan, you're going to have to agree that this statement, 100% true. Here it is. Men and women are different. Amen. Every once in a while, I'll meet, most of the time it's a girl, who says, "Ah, oh my gosh, he's just like me, we're exactly alike. No, you're not. You're not. The boy is nothing like you. You ain't even seen his room yet, all right? Like, we are different. Let me walk you through a couple of differences. I have some visuals this morning, because you like it when I use visual aids. So these are, these are some ways that men or women are different. Like, the way men and women select shampoo. This is how a woman chooses shampoo, right here. Effectiveness brand, smell, what it does to the hair, ingredients, color, quality, design, recommendations, reviews, quantity, popularity. That's how a woman chooses shampoo. This is how a man chooses shampoo. It says shampoo. Am I right? 
Here's another one. This one's even more fun. How to impress a woman. Compliment her. Cuddle her. Kiss her. Guys, get your phones out. Screenshot this. Write some notes. You'll thank me later. And our nursery will grow. Um, caress her. Love her. Stroke her. Tease her. Comfort her. Protect her. Hug her. Hold her. Spend money on her. Wine and dine her. Buy things for her. Listen to her. Care for her. Stand by her. Support her. Go to the ends of the earth for her. Ladies, will that work? Yes or no? Yeah. Ooh, this service knows. Like the rest of them, they're like, I don't want to say that out loud in church. This is how you impress a man. Show up naked, bring food. <laughs> Let's pray and go home, right? Like that's it. Like that's, that's it. We're different, right? Men and women are different. And one of the things that's beautiful about the differences between a man and a woman is that God gave us these differences not to divide us, but to draw us together. And instead of focusing on the differences and allowing it to drive us apart, we should allow our differences to draw us closer together. And so today I got three main points that I want to cover. And these are points I'm going to reference the entire series. And I, because they're important. And you need to remember these as we go through the series. You need to remember these while you're battling for your relationships. The first thing, number one, is that God multiplies. God multiplies. Listen, God wants us to have an abundant life. He, he really does. And, and we should have abundant joy. Like, I don't know about you, but I want joy. Like, that's, that's what I want. I want joy in my life. Because Jesus, like, a lot of people say that Jesus died to get us out of hell and into heaven. But, but he died not, not just to get us out of hell and into heaven, but he died to get himself out of heaven and into us. And with Jesus living inside of us, we really can have an abundant life as Christians. We can smile, we can laugh, we can dance, despite what my Baptist friends say. Like, like we are capable of having an abundant life. We are capable of having a Abundant joy. We are capable of walking in victory. We are capable of doing greater things because of Jesus Christ inside of us. God really does multiply. I want you to think about it like this. Let's say I gave you a $20 bill, put $20 in your hand, and then I multiplied it out five times. Are you happy? Yeah! Like some of you are like, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're going to be happy. That's what God wants you to do. Now, I'm not the prosperity guy, all right? I'm not, don't, don't equate this to me talking about money. I'm telling you, God wants to bring multiplication into your life. He wants to bless us because God is a God who says, be fruitful and multiply. And so I want to show you this. We're going to talk about the beginning, the creation of the world. God created the world. I don't know if you know that or not, but you and I, like if you're gonna come to this church, we gotta be on the same page as this. Like God spoke and the world came into existence, right? And so so that's that's why we're here. We're here because of God. God created. And and we can argue literal days, we can argue time spans, we can argue all of that stuff all day long. But at the end of the conversation we need to agree that God created the heavens and the earth. And that's where we're gonna pick up the story when he's doing that. Like God's speaking and there's light and there's water and there's all of that stuff. And in Genesis one twenty four, the Bible says, Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. Each producing offspring of the same kind. Now, now hold on, hold on. I want to talk basic science for a minute. I just want to follow the science because that's what we're told to do, right? Animals producing offspring of their own kind. How do animals produce offspring of their own kind? How does that work? It's very simple. This is not a trick question. You got boy giraffe. 
You got girl giraffe. The boy giraffe got boy parts. Girl giraffe got girl parts. I know I can get canceled in 2023 for saying this, but I'm just following the science. And the boy with the boy parts gets with the girl with the girl parts, makes another giraffe. Doesn't make a donkey. Doesn't make a gorilla. Doesn't make a, a zebra. It makes a what? A giraffe. And it's either born a boy with boy parts or girl with girl parts. Am I right? And so you, you got all the animals. I mean, the rabbits have this down, right? You got all the animals, and they're multiplying like crazy. There's all this reproduction. So keep that in mind. It's very, 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 very important. We're going to come back to that. So God's creating the world. He's creating all the animals. He's doing all this stuff. And then he creates Adam. And the Bible says this in Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. That's where we get the phrase dirty old man right there. It comes from right there. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living being. Think about this. God reaches down, picks up dirt. Man, it's amazing. Now, you might be here, and you might not be a Christian, or you might be thinking, I'm not sure that I believe the Bible is real. Cool. Man, I get that. I used to be in the exact same position you are. But I want to point out, right here at the beginning, what God is creating, the Bible says life begins when God takes dirt And he breathes in. When a man dies, (gasps) breathes out, and life goes back to dirt. I mean, it's just in the scriptures. It's just right here. Like, that's how cool the Bible works and how it is. And so God creates this man, and God names him Adam. And then God speaks to him. And think about, what are the first words? What are the first words the creator of the universe spoke? Think about it. You're about to speak to mankind, the pinnacle of all creation, like, like God says, let us create man, let us create him in our image. And then the Bible says, in, 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 their, in our likeness, God created them, both male and female. Like, we're created in God's image. This is the pinnacle. We're the top of the top. What is the first thing? What would you say? Well, this is the first recorded conversation that we have between God and man. It's in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. I want you to focus on these first three words right here. First three words that God spoke to mankind. You are free. You are free. Not, hey, don't do that. Not, thou shalt not. Not, hey, man, you really suck. You are free. God created us to live in freedom. Freedom from fear. Freedom from shame. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from harm. Freedom from death. Freedom. There is incredible freedom. As we walk in Jesus Christ. And God wants all of us to live in freedom. Oh, also, I love the fact he says you're free to eat. God's into buffets. Uh, just, I'm just throwing it out there. It's going to be in heaven. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. And then he goes on and tells him, hey, there's one tree you can't eat from. I, I want you to not miss this. Hey, Adam, lots of trees you can eat from when you can't. A lot of trees... You can eat from one you can't. There's a lot of trees here, a lot of trees you can eat, just one you can't. A lot of trees, one you can't. Don't, don't miss this. A lot of grace with a little bit of law. A lot of grace, little bit of law. We don't think about it that way. As followers of Jesus, we've been taught a lot of law and a little bit of grace. Now I'm thankful for the law. I am. I'm thankful for some of you saying, oh, no. Can you imagine a world without speed limits, traffic lights? That'd be crazy. I would enjoy that, but you need to follow rules. Because we need some order. 
And God wants to bring order. That's the reason we have his word. He's not trying to restrict us. He's trying to help us. Because he says, Adam, I love you. I care about you. I created you. Adam, you're the pinnacle of my creation. You can have anything you want, but there's one tree you can't eat from. And then God says, watch what happens. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. This is the first time that God said something of his creation wasn't good. God's been creating the mountains and the light and the day and the sun and the stars. And every time, every time the rivers, and the water, it's always, it's always like it's good. Man, it's good. It's so good. Man, look at that. Isn't that awesome? All oh, that sunset is beautiful. woo That is so good. And then he's looking at Adam. He's looking, he's looking. He's like, huh. It ain't good for him to be alone. Because, I mean, let's face it, man. He's all alone in the garden. How's he ever going to stop and ask for directions when he gets lost? He's going to circle for all eternity. It's not good. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Right now, some of you husbands need to lean over to your wife and tell her, baby, you are just right for me. Do it. I'm trying to set you up for a win. Some of you are missing this. I'm trying to set you up for an afternoon nap. You know what I'm saying? All right, you won't miss it next time. Anyway, watch what happens. It's not good for man to be alone, verse 19. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. So God says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone, but before God gives him a wife, God gives him a job. God gives him a purpose. And there's a lot of work to be done. (laughs) First, man, Adam is creative. He's walking around, he's seeing the animals, he's like, yeah, hippopotamus, who, gorilla, giraffe. And then after a while, he gets bored, and he's just like, oh, cat. I'm just saying, he had a job. Girls, listen to me. If you're dating a guy, and he says, he's like we talked about last week, he says, oh, baby, I'm a man after God's own heart. One way to tell, he got a job. Well, the economy's so bad, he can't find a job. They're giving signing bonuses at McDonald's right now, all right? $500 to be like, here's the recipe for the secret sauce of the Big Mac. Like, you can find a job. Get one. He had a job. He had a job. He had a purpose. But as he's naming the animals, I want you to see what God is doing. Because we always think that in the mundane, God's not working That God's not with us. He's not walking with us. But God is always working. God is always there with us. So you remember Genesis 1. We said he created the boy and the girl. The parts and the parts and all of that stuff. Remember? And Adam, as he's naming the animals, he's like, yeah. I'm going to call that one dog. It's going to be my best friend. Man, dog, I love you. Come here, dog. Come here. Come here, boy. Sit right here. Man, me and you, we're going to be tight forever, aren't we? You good boy. You're so awesome. What are you looking at, man? Oh, well, there's another one. Well, she ain't got the same parts that we got. I mean, what's, like, what, why is she coming over here? What, why is she getting, go- <gasps> what are you doing? God, they look so happy. Like, ah! We follow what's going on here, right? Like, if not, we got a video. Check this out. We'll show you. Just, one of these days, I am going to play that video. <laughs> Adam's like, God. Like you got all the like they're they're the same but but they're different. And and, and they're and, and, and they're they're doing all this like like the God look at the rabbits, like it's just crazy. Like God, God, what about me? What about me, God? 
God, I need to get me one of those. God, what, what's going on? And watch what happens. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But still there was no helper. Just right. You just right, baby. Just Again, I set you up, man. Come on, guys. Like It's going to be a long series if you don't get into that stuff. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, which is not hard. How do you do it? You put on a fishing show, right? Like that's how you do it. I watch fishing show. I'm offended. Stop. So he goes into this deep sleep. And watch what happens. While the men slept, the Lord God took one of the man's ribs. He's like, God, like God said, Adam, hey, you want that? Like you want it? Like, so, so Adam, cool. I got something for you, but it's going to cost you. Adam, I have something for you, but it's going to cost you. He put Adam to sleep, takes out one of Adam's ribs. Like, and, and don't miss the symbolism here. This is the first living creature that God created that he didn't create from the dust of the ground. There's something unique. There's something special about the way that God created a woman from the rib. And, and don't miss the symbolism here. Men, from the rib, under the arm, to be held close, to be protected. It's absolutely amazing. So God takes this rib, and the Bible says, and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. Now, don't miss this. Adam is asleep. God makes Eve. Eve's first relationship is not with Adam. It's with who? It's with God. And it's mysterious. Like, we don't know how long Adam was asleep. We don't know how long God was with Eve just one-on-one. We don't know what God specifically said to Eve. We just know. That Eve had this relationship with God, Adam had this relationship with God, and when each of, don't miss this, when each of them had a relationship with God, God said, now you're ready, and he brought her to the man. How the man, he's excited about this. Watch what Adam says, verse 23. At last! Yes! That's what that exclamation point means in the Hebrew right there. That exact translation. He's like, yes! And then he sings this song. And I can just imagine some Barry White playing in the background. This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called, whoa, man! Because she was taken from the man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife are both naked. But they felt no shame. One time, true story, in Bible college, a professor was going around and he was asking us like what our theme verse was, what was our favorite Bible verse. And a dude said, Genesis 2.25. He got sent home. Like, I'd never seen it before or after. Like, he didn't really like that. Felt no shame. That's huge. We're going to come back to that. Because, see, God, God multiplies. He's blessing God wants to bring multiplication into our life. The, the world is producing, it's, it's, it's going the way he created it to. And then all of a sudden, point number two, Satan shows up. And Satan divides. If I gave you that same $20 bill and, and I divided it out five times, are you happy? No, no, especially when you could have had it multiplied. Satan divides. Satan always, 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 always divides. Always I can't tell you the number of, not, don't, don't amen right here. This is, please don't amen. I'm not setting you up for an amen here. Don't, don't whisper this over to your wife and say, that's you or to your husband. Like, I'm, if you amen here, you're going to get alone couch time. All right? That's, that's what you're going to get. Just listen. I've talked to so many couples, and they've said, and I know why you say this. I, I, I get it. But you say, you know, Ryan, 
They were normal until I married them. And after I married them, they went crazy. Let me let you in on a little secret. They were crazy before you married them. In fact, marrying them, marrying you, brought more of their crazy out, right? At what point? Let, let me ask you this question. Are you a sinful person? Do you sin pretty naturally? Everybody say yes. So does your spouse. At what point did you not think there were going to be issues? Uh, and we argue over stupid stuff. Do we not? Do we not argue over the dumbest stuff? Mary and I, we've been, we've been married 23 years. We didn't know stuff about each other when we first got married. Like 87 products in the shower. Why you don't just got shampoo and a bar of soap? 932 pillows on the bed. And like my jeans don't magically pick themselves up and wash themselves and get folded and put in my drawer. I remember one time she looked at my jeans on the floor and she said, are those your jeans on the floor? I said, they better be. <laughs> the dumbest fight ever. How, how many of you, don't raise your hand because it's everyone. How many of you ever had the dumbest fight? The dumbest fight. Let me tell you why you had that fight. Every couple, especially Christian couples, you've been told at a wedding, you've got the man and you've got the woman and you got Jesus and you come together and there's a cord of three strands hasn't quickly broken. And that's awesome. And that's, that's wonderful. That that's great. But what we don't understand is when we get married, we bring in the man, we bring in the woman. Yes, we bring in Jesus, but Satan shows up too. In fact, Satan didn't show up in Genesis chapter two. He could have. He could have attacked Adam at any time. He could have attacked Eve at any time. Satan didn't show up until after the marriage. Then it goes crazy. And so if you feel like, hey man, things are a little bit different now that we got married. We got married. Everything's going crazy. You're on to something. It's a spiritual attack. And families are under spiritual attack. Many of you know exactly what this is like. Families are under spiritual attack. Attack. Watch what happens. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the animals. So Satan takes the form of a serpent. A lot of people say, well, that's weird that Eve would be out there talking to a snake. Like, who would talk? Like, Listen, we don't know what it's like in the Garden of Eden. I don't, I don't know. It was different than it is now. I don't know, and you don't know, so we're not going to argue this. I don't know if Adam talked to them, like if they talked back and forth. I, I don't know if it was normal or whatever. I just know it was different than it is now. So the serpent was the the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say, like Eve, come on girl, did God really say that? Because you know, I mean, come on, it's been interpreted so many ways. It's been passed down from generation to generation. And this person says this, and this person says that, and this church teaches it this way, while this church teaches it another way. I mean, come on, we really don't know what God said. Did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? No. God did not say that. Well, that's how the devil works. He twists the scripture. Of course we may eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. And the conversation should have been over right there. Right there it should have been over. I'll show you why in just a minute. Verse 3, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Quick question. God said, if you eat the fruit from that tree, what's going to happen to you? You will what? Die. God said... What was going to happen? Does that make God loving or does that make God mean? Loving. Like, for example, if you come up here on stage 
and, and you're walking towards the edge of the stage, and I, and I tell you, like, hey, if you take one more step, you're going to fall off, and you're going to break your leg. And you step off the, the stage, and you break your leg. And are you going to call me cruel? No. Like, if you do, that, that's stupid, right? Because I told you what was going to happen. And if I tell you what's going to happen, and you do it anyway, that's on you, not on me. And God is saying, Adam, I don't want you to die. Eve, I don't want you to die. I love you. Don't eat from that tree. Don't touch the tree. Just stay away from the tree. And then this happens, verse 4. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. Eve, Eve, come on. Girl, you need to know. Like, God is a loving, merciful, forgiving God. If you do exactly what he told you not to do, you're not going to die. Quick question. Anybody talk to Eve before you came to church today? You know the reason why? She died. Show you that in a little bit. God knows that your eyes will be open. In other words, God's holding out on you, Eve. God is holding out. As soon as you eat it, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. Convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was what? With her. Dude is there the entire time. He's there. He watches this whole thing. He doesn't step in. He doesn't stop it. That's a problem. Why is he so passive? We're going to talk about it in week three. I'm going to tell you why it's so hard sometimes. Because today, man, let, let's be honest. I mean, this is Iowa. You go home and your wife's in the backyard talking to a snake. The snake's dead, right? At some point, you step in and you kill the snake. And I know a lot of people, they say, why did Adam eat the fruit? Again, nigga woman with fruit. Make a man do anything. She gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Now, three things quick I want you to see in this section. First of all, that Satan is a deceiver. Three things about the devil. He's and every one of us. Every one of us in this room has been deceived before. Every one of us. We've all been deceived. We've been spirit, deceived spiritually. We've been deceived personally. We can make a huge list of examples here. We, we know what it's like to be deceived. Satan. I want you to think about how powerful that dude is when it comes to deception. Satan deceived one-third of the angels in heaven to follow him. Angels, like in the presence of God, Satan convinced them, hey, boys, come to my side. He's powerful in his deception. And he deceived Eve. Eve, you will be like God. You'll be like God. Eve was already created in the image of God. But Satan convinced her, God's holding out on you. Deception. There are people in this room, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll be or we currently are being deceived by the enemy, especially when it comes to our relationships. The enemy will deceive us into thinking something that is absolutely not true. And that's why we've got to arm ourselves with the studying of God's word. We've got to know the truth of God's word so the enemy cannot deceive us with his lies. Because that's point letter B, is that Satan is a liar. He's a liar. He, he told Eve, Eve, you won't die, but she did. Everybody in this room has been lied to. Some of us have told a few, have we not? And Satan says, you, you won't die. She, Satan lies. Some of us here, we've bought into his lies. Do you know, you know how many times I've had to look at a couple in counseling and tell them, stop, stop. Your spouse is not the enemy. But that's what happens when we begin to look at our spouse as the enemy. Like we, we buy into that lie that they're the enemy. And when we believe our spouse is the enemy, we'll fight them rather than fighting with them against the real enemy. Lies. Dude is a liar. We buy into the lies. Like you're single. 
Satan has told you you're not enough. The reason no guy will be with you, the reason no girl will be with you is because you're not enough. We'll talk about that next week. Man, he's told you the reason you can't take a stand for your family spiritually is because you're not enough. We'll talk about that in a couple more weeks. There are people in this room, you've been through divorce, and, and you've been told you blew your one and only opportunity. It'll never, ever, ever, ever work out for you ever again. In fact, the only common denominator in every relationship that you've ever had that has failed is you. And you've believed that lie. Listen, I can't do anything about the past. I don't know what has happened in the past. I don't know what has happened to you, but here's what I know. From this point on, in Christ, you can have an amazing future. We just got to stop buying into the lies. The third one is that Satan brings blame and shame. Shame and blame. Blame and shame. Yeah, that's the way it goes. Verse 7, at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame, which is what happens when we sin. We feel shame. Suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves. We do stupid stuff when we sin. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God amongst the bushes. How are you going to hide from God? How? Is that not stupid? You ever play hide and seek with a kid? Chloe and Jaira. Man, I love them, but they were little idiots. They were. They believed every time they closed their eyes and put their hands across their face, you couldn't see them. And you'd call their name and they'd be like, peeking a little bit. And I'm like, I can see you! Acting like your mom. I don't know, like... <laughs> you all didn't laugh because she's in this service, right? Anyway, Adam and Eve, they're trying to hide. Can you see this? Eve, there's God. Close your eyes, quick, hide. He can't see us. I think we're safe. Where's it? Adam! Yes, yes, God. But that's what we do. We hide. And it's not necessarily a, a bush or it's not necessarily fig leaves. We hide from God. And you might say, Ryan, what do we hide behind? Well, I mean, some of us hide behind porn. Some of us hide behind alcohol. Some of us hide behind fentanyl. Some of us hide behind food. I mean, we, we find stuff to hide behind. Do we not? And everything we hide behind is so incredibly damaging. Everything that we hide behind brings so much damage and destruction into our lives. Does it not? Some of us there are hiding. We hide under religion. We think like, oh my gosh, man, if I won't confess my problem, I'll just, I'll just go to church and I'll just read the Bible more and I'll pray more and I'll raise my hands during worship, but I'm not going to come out of hiding. And let me just tell you something I've had to learn the hard way. If you don't come out of hiding, God won't help. I didn't say he can't. I said he won't until we admit I have a problem. This is my problem. This is our problem. God, we have a problem. I mean, good Lord, we can't even get saved until we admit that we're a sinner. At some point, we have to own something. To stop being victims and own it. So they're hiding from God and they look ridiculous. Verse 9 says, the Lord God called out to the man. Wait wait a minute. Who sinned first, Adam or Eve? This isn't a trick question. Who sinned first, Adam or Eve? Eve. He called to the man. You know why? Because the man is responsible. The man is responsible. I'll talk more about that in three weeks. Where are you? He, he replied, see, God, what happened was I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now, this next verse, this is, this is one of my most favorite sections of the entire Bible. I absolutely love, I love this whole story and how it plays out, but I love 
this right here. Verse 11. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree? Now, this is where we hear, especially if we've been brought up in church, we hear God and he's got his finger pointed. Who told you that? Like, I t- did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? What is wrong with you? Come up, I'm going to wear you out. Like, what is wrong? Why would you eat from that? Because that's how God is. God's at the edge of heaven pointing his finger down with us. Don't do that. Oh, don't miss this. This is so beautiful. Adam is like, we're naked. And, and is he ashamed of this? Yes or no? Yeah. In 225, he, they, they felt no shame. But now he feels shame. And I want you to see God's response. God looks at him and God says, who told you that? I love that. Adam, I mean, man, you're my son. Eve, you're, you're my daughter. You're, you're, my, you're my children. Adam, nobody gets to define you. Adam, I get to define you. Eve, I get to define you. Like, nobody else gets, who, who told you that? Let me ask you this question for those of you dealing with shame in the room. Who told you that you'd always be that way? Who told you that you'd never break the addiction? Who told you that because of what you went through, you're damaged goods and nobody would ever want you? Who told you that you cannot change? Who told you that? It wasn't God. We have got to start listening to the voice of God because he's not trying to catch us in sin and push us down. He's trying to pull us out of the pit that we dug for ourselves. Who told you that? Who told you? Who told you that? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Now this is where the blame game starts. The man replied, it was the woman. See, God, what had happened was, like, listen, I mean, things are awesome. And God, like, he's blaming it on God. Don't we do this? Don't we blame our problems on God? God, this is your fault. God, it's your fault I'm hurt. It's your fault I'm struggling. God, it's your fault I'm in pain. God, it's your fault our relationship is falling apart. God, this is your fault. Now listen, I'm not going to deny And I'm not going to downplay that there are people in this room who are in pain today. But like I said last week, we've got problems. But did you wake up inside this morning? Did you have some food to eat this morning? I mean, we've got problems. And yes, we're struggling. But at the end of the day, we have to learn how to celebrate the good things that God has done in our lives. I I understand problems better than most. All right? So I'm not dogging you. But Adam, man, he's blaming God. I mean, God, come on, man. I I was fine. Me and dog were hanging out. It was great. And then the naked woman showed up with the parts. And then we got together. And that was a lot of fun. But then she talked to a little snake and she ate the fruit. You know what, God? Tell me you got a better version coming on. Tell me this is like the beta version, like 2.0 is coming. He's blaming. Have you ever seen a couple that all they do is blame each other? That relationship will not work. If two people are obsessed with pointing out the mistakes, the fallacies of the other person, that relationship is going to crumble. I'm, I'm not a pessimist. I've just been around for a while. It was the woman you gave. I mean, God, it's, it's her fault. It's her fault, God. And God turns to Eve and he's like, Eve, you got anything to say for yourself? Verse 13, then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent, she blames the devil. She, she blames the devil. A lot of people blame the devil. You ever seen that? Devil made me do it. Devil made me do it. Devil made me, devil, my, my car wouldn't start. It's the devil. No, you didn't put gas in your car, stupid. That's what the problem is. Quit rebuking Satan. The car is not going to start without gas. Eve blamed the devil. Now, I want to be honest with you. In our world today, the devil gets blamed for way too much. And we get our idea of Satan and the demons from Hollywood. We watch the movies and the five-year-old little girls throwing the priest across the room and blood's coming out of the walls and all of that stuff. That, that's, that's not really what happens. 
here's what we need to understand. Satan can influence you. He cannot control you. He is limited. He can influence you. He cannot control. He is limited. Like, listen, he is limited. He is not like God. He, if Satan is in Carol, he cannot be in Creston, right? He is limited. He's not like God who is omnipresent. He is not all powerful, but he can. He and his demons can influence us. They can't control us, but they can influence us. So the devil gets blamed and uh, we're going to talk about this later, but I want to throw this in right here. At the end of the day, if a relationship is going to excel, each of the people in that relationship have to own their part of the problem. Even if it's only 5%, own your 5%, let your spouse deal with that. I mean, as long as we're blaming and not owning what we did, it's going to come, it's going to crumble. Shame and blame. We shame our spouse or we shame the person we're in a relationship with. It will not work. Which leads to point number three. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Throughout this series, you're going to see all of this. God multiplies, Satan divides. But Jesus wins. I'm going to tell you a little something about Pastor Ryan that you might not know. If we play a game, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I got to win. Like, I'm not the person who will tell the kid, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. No, that's a Nebraska fan. That's who that is. It's, you got to win. You got to win. Listen, when Chloe and Jira were little, we would play shoots and ladders. And I'd have to be careful, because I'd be like, getting my game face on. Yeah! Let's go! Woo! Shoots and ladders! Come on, little boy! Get it! Come on, little girl! Bring it! I am going to shoot you down that freaking ladder! Let's go! I mean, I got to win. Everything I do, I'm competitive. I want to win. That, that's why I can't lose weight, because I hate losing. But some of you right now are like, you're a freak. You need therapy. I've been there. I already graduated, got a certificate hanging in my office. Like, I got to win. And here's what I'm trying to say with that. This is the reason I want to follow Jesus. Because when it's all over, the smoke clears, and the battle is over, Jesus is standing alone in the ring. He wins. He wins. And if Jesus is in me, then guess what? I get to win. If Jesus is in a couple, guess what? We win. We are on the winning team. You know how I know this is true? Because of what God says in Genesis chapter 3. Now God's speaking to Adam and Eve, and we'll look at this later on in the series. He's talking about consequences. We're, we're going to go over that. I hope you come back. It's going to be great. But this is what he turns to. He says to Satan, and, and this is huge. He's given consequences to Satan, and he says this. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And this right here blows up the myth that a Christian will never suffer. That type of teaching has destroyed the faith of so many people. Christian, never going to suffer. And if you're suffering, you're not Stop it. Stop. Because God makes this statement. And this statement, if you're looking for a theological term, it's called proto-evangelium. It's the first prophecy about Jesus in the scripture. It's the first gospel message. And it proclaims that God's people will finally triumph over the serpent. And, and, and God says, you know what? Here's the deal, Satan. You're going to strike his heel. And as you look at the life of Jesus, did Satan strike his heel? Absolutely. I'm talking about he's less than a year old, two years old, and, and Herod is trying to have him killed everywhere he goes in life. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious people, they're hunting him. They're trying to trap him. One of, the, one of his closest friends betrays him. He's arrested. He was beaten. He was mocked. People spit on him. 
He created the glands in the mouths of the people that they used to spit on him. That's crazy. He's killed. He's put in a grave. His heel was struck. But three days later, by the power of the Spirit of God, he crushed Satan's head. He got up. And because he got up, we can get up. Listen to me. There are some people in this room, I get it. You've had your heel struck. When it comes to life, you have gone through some hurt. When it comes to relationships, you've gone through some pain. You're going through some struggle. You're going through some heartache. You're going through some relationship confusion. Listen, that's not called being bad. That's called being a human. It comes with the territory. But I want you to know that in Christ, even though Satan has struck your heel, you in Christ can crush his head because Jesus got up from the grave. Paul tells us in Romans 8:11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And if the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you, then guess what? You win. Guess what, mom and dad? You win. Guess what, husband and wife? You win. Guess what, single person? You win. We, in Christ, we do not lose. We don't hang our heads. We don't apologize. We hold our heads high, and we walk in victory. We own the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave. Not so we could wear a piece of jewelry, but so that we could walk in victory. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing better than him. There's no one better than him. There's nothing in the world that could heal us like Jesus Christ. I say all the time, everything is better with Jesus at the center. And when it comes to our relationships, that's where we need to start. That's where we need to fight. And I'm telling you, we need to fight like hell. And we need to fight against all the battles of hell, or all, all the demons and the principalities of hell. We need to fight. We need to fight. Let's pray. Jesus, there ain't nothing better than you. But there are those of us in this room that we're struggling. Jesus, we're struggling with relationship issues, struggling with personal issues. We're just beat down, beat up, confused, hurting. But Father, I pray right now, in this moment, you would speak to every heart every single heart in this room and just remind us, Jesus, that you've got the whole world in your hands. And at the end of the day, if we're walking with you, you can make it all turn out for good. The confusion, the pain, the hurt, the doubt, the fear, the shame. God, you can change it as we continually surrender our lives to you. Help us to surrender. Maybe you're here and you've never taken the first step of surrender. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. There's never been a time in your life where you said, you know what, I'm a sinner and I need saving. You can't take your next step until you take that step. That's the first step everybody has to take. It's the main one. And as I said earlier, you can't get saved until you admit that you're a sinner. And so maybe that's you right now. Maybe you've never prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into your life. I want to give you that opportunity right now where you sit. You can just pray, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. And so today I tell you I'm sorry. Today, I ask for your forgiveness. Today, I confess that that Jesus, you died on the cross, and I let you know I believe you rose from the grave. And I believe you did that to pay for my sin. And so today, today, I ask you to come into my life. All of me for all of you. Today, I surrender. Today, I give up control. Today, I ask you to be my Lord, to be my God, to be my King, to be my Savior. Today, I ask you to save me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for paying for my sin. Thank you for saving me. 
Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know. After I close this out in prayer here, there'll be people in the back corners of the sanctuary who would love to pray with you for you. There'll be people at our welcome desk. Let them know so we can hook you up with a study Bible, talk to you about next steps. For the rest of us, if there are things that are going on in our lives, the same thing is true for you. People in the back who will pray with you and for you. God, I pray today that somebody, anybody in this room that needs help, God, today they will be led to ask for help. If there's somebody in this room who's struggling, God, that you would lead them to admit they're struggling. Father, I pray that there's somebody confused, that we would walk out of this room knowing that Jesus, even though things are, are difficult in the moment, eventually because they're in your hands, all things work together for good because you're a good God who wants great things for his children. And God, thank you that you multiply. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus, that in you we win. And we can hold our heads high knowing that nothing is greater than you. We love you, Jesus. We praise your holy name. Amen. As you leave out of here today, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. First thing is I'm going to ask you to pray. Pray, 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 pray for the relationships of people in this church. It's been years since we've done a relationship series. And the reason why is because usually when I do them, stuff hits the fan. Like it just, it just happens. And so pray. Pray for people's relationship with Jesus. Pray for husbands and wives. Pray for those dating. Pray for those who are single. Pray for the relationship between parents and their kids. Pray for relationships. At some point throughout your day, just stop and just say a prayer. It's pretty simple. 